Welcome to Rotor World Football Show's Week 6 Recap Podcast. My name is Pat Corain, and in just a few moments here, I'm going to be joined by everyone from the Rotor World team who covered the games for us today. We're going to be diving into all of the additional context beyond the box score to help you out with all of your fantasy football decisions this week. Let's get to the games. The Jets defeated the Packers 27-10. Lawrence Jackson, the Packers have now lost to both New York teams in back-to-back weeks. It's really ironic, and and now it's time to really be concerned about the Packers and especially their offense. Their defense has played, definitely played well enough to win these past two weeks, but the continuation of, you know, Aaron Rodgers not being on the same page as receivers, receivers not making plays. That only hurt them more when Randall Cobb was carted off with an ankle injury. We Mm. still got to see what's up with him. But um, credit to the Jets' defense, man. They front seven, led by Quentin Williams, was ferocious, and they gave the whole Green Bay offense no room to breathe. Yeah, and the the wide receiver issues are pretty evident when you look at the box score. Robert Tunyon led the way with 12 targets, going 10 for 90. Alan Lazard uh, led the receivers with 76 receiving yards. He had four receptions on nine targets and a touchdown. But yeah, Romeo Dobbs was kind of looking like he was emerging. He only had four for 21 here on nine targets. Yeah, that, I mean, Robert Tanyan was the one who was there. He was underneath. He was the one that Aaron Rodgers had time to throw to, to be honest. Um, a lot of the rat routes didn't even have time to develop. That's how good the Jets were on defense uh Dobbs did get nine targets but as did Alan Lazard Alan Lazard made a couple of nice catches one including the 25-yard touchdown but um a lot of routes being run a lot of passes being thrown but just not much to show for it overall yeah Aaron Rodgers threw 41 times here he had six yards per attempt that's that's pretty bad only threw for one touchdown 246 yards what was the the style of this was were the Packers aggressive or did they get down and then they were kind of forced to the air? So, so they were always aggressive. They actually, when they got down, they started using the running backs in the passing game. Hmm. In fact, they, they, they never really went away from the run. They just could not do it. I mean, Aaron Jones and AJ Dillon had 19 carries between them because again, the game was three, three at halftime. So both teams were in the game uh, very much, but an A.J. Dillon fumble was costly for them, and that kind of turned everything around. Any any other thoughts on the backfield, or should we, we go to the Jets here? Yeah, I mean, just, you know, the run game was non-existent. Uh, another dub for Aaron Jones. Like I said, A.J. Dillon coughing it up. Aaron Jones made a couple of plays in the receiving game late, but it was nothing to – you know, changed the game. The Jets shut down both running backs today. Yeah, Aaron Jones, 9 for 19 as a rusher. He had 3 for 25 on four targets. A.J. Dillon, 10 for 41 as a rusher, 4 for 11 on six targets. So, they, I mean, hey, that's that's 10 targets between the two backs. Um, you know, not, not horrible usage, I guess, but, yeah, no production there. On the Jets side, let's talk Brees Hall. He just had a breakout game last week. 
uh, totaling almost 200 total yards. This week, 116 rushing yards on 20 attempts, gets in the end zone. Michael Carter does not snipe any one-yard uh, touchdowns from him, which is nice to see. Uh, yeah, and he was he was involved a little bit as a receiver. He had two targets, two for five. Michael Carter had one target going one for six. So you know, it wasn't like Carter had a big role while Hall wasn't involved there. So it looks pretty bullish overall for Hall. Yeah, one hundred percent. It was they. The reason there was no targets there because they didn't have to really throw the ball because Brees Hall was wearing out this Green Bay defense all game, just little by little, churning and churning. He did have a thirty-four yard run, however, that was his longest run of the game. It's not like he busted another eighty-yard run, and that was the bulk of his hundred and sixteen yards. He was steadily hitting them for four or five, six yards at a time and breaking tackles, slippery, running inside, outside. You know, with his style of running, he likes to let the let the holes develop. He start off a little slow and then he get going. And uh, it really would like he had the Jets offense on their back. Like Zach Wilson didn't have to do much like last week. Uh all Zach Wilson had to do was, you know, manage the game and make timely plays when needed. But uh, it was definitely the Brees Hall show today. If you felt like last week was a fluke, he certainly answered that question today. And you could see it with 20 carries. Yeah, it's starting to feel like a little Falcons-y, uh, you know, where the Jets, like, they put up 27 points uh, today and there's nothing in the receiving yeah. game. You know, yeah. Corey Davis, four for four, or sorry, two for 52 on four targets. Uh, Garrett Wilson only had one reception for eight yards on five targets. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't even see Elijah Moore in the he, box score. I, I, as I'm watching the game, I'm watching the game, but then I go back and look. I'm like, did he play? He played. It just, <laughs> man, you probably got to drop this guy. It's starting to go that you, way, you, right? You, you got to drop him. Like, cause even if he have a big game, like, how much are how much is that, you know, you're going to wait till the Jets are losing and they're down negative game script, and he might have a game at that point? Corey Davis came into this game leading the team in receiving, and he leaves this game in the same fashion as the Jets' leading receiver. Yeah, that's pretty wild. All right, <laughs> Lars Jackson, appreciate it. All right, man. The Colts defeated the Jaguars 34 to 27. Denny Carter, Matt Ryan went off here, completing 42 of 58 attempts for 389 yards and three touchdowns. Yeah, uh, 42 completions is a Colts record. Uh, it was kind of a game plan for the Colts of, you know, uh, win by whatever means necessary. And in this case, it was just pass, 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 tons of dropbacks for Ryan. Uh, you know, with Jonathan Taylor out, with Naheem Hines out, uh, it was dink and dunk the whole way down the field, the entire game. Uh, kind of got off to a sluggish start, but, you know, compiled enough yards um, along with the three touchdowns to have a really nice fantasy day for anyone who was starting him. I, I can't imagine many of our listeners were starting him, uh, I, I, I guess, in Superflex, maybe. Um, but uh, it's the second time in three games Ryan has gone over for over 300 yards and uh it was it was nice to see for at least for a few guys it was nice to see some some volume really uh kind of buoy their fantasy production you mentioned before we started that his time to throw was down 
Yes. Uh, saw a stat after the game from a Colts beat writer said that uh, his uh, time in the pocket was the lowest of the season so far. And that, that that was part of the game plan, according to Frank Reich, to get the ball out as quickly as possible. Does feel like an all-time kind of what could have been game for Jonathan Taylor. Deion Jackson had 12 for 42 as a rusher, 3.5 yards per carry. Does score, though. But then, I think more importantly, the 10 targets, 79 yards as a receiver. Uh, he caught all 10 of the of the targets Deion Jackson did. And it sounds like Deion Jackson played pretty well, but I, I think we both know yes. that Jonathan Taylor could have done more with this. I believe so. I think Jonathan Taylor would have had a, a, a gone completely nuclear here. Uh, Deion Jackson ran 34 routes to 15 routes for Philip Lindsay. Like you said, he caught all 10 of his targets and honestly, you know, was pretty good after the catch. You know, it wasn't, he wasn't just there to like catch it and fall down. Like he, he broke tackles. He was elusive. He, uh, you know, made yards where there seemed to be none. And uh, he got into the end zone in the second half um, by really lowering the shoulder and, and busting through a few Jags defenders at the goal line. Uh, he was a man possessed today. Unfortunately, Deion Jackson left the game with a quad injury in the fourth quarter. Uh, he did not return. Philip Lindsay took over. So we'll have to see there, but you know, Deion Jackson is definitely their best option if Taylor and Hines are out. This also worked out well for Michael Pittman. He had 13 receptions on 16 targets. Yeah. It's kind of the the hope for, for Pittman here. If, if Taylor was going to be out, that they would just like feed him. And they certainly did here. He had 134 receiving yards, did not score though. Right. Cause you know, I mean, Pittman does not have uh, a stellar, you know, downfield profile and that's probably not how he's going to be used uh, in this offense with, with Matt Ryan under center. So, uh, you know, uh, usage like this can make him, you know, like a high end to uh tight end, high end, I'm sorry, high end wide receiver two, or maybe a, a, a low end Freudian slip there. I think wide receiver one. I know. <laughs> I was like, don't call him a tight end. Don't call him a tight end. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. So he, he leads the, uh, he leads the team with 16 targets. Uh, Paris Campbell was another beneficiary of this, you know, get the ball out quickly approach, uh, deployed by the Colts today. Uh, he had 10 targets was, which was second on the team to, uh, Michael Pittman, uh, Campbell caught one of those, a short one. I think it was a seven yard, uh, reception for a touchdown in the first half. He came out of nowhere. I mean, uh, we talked before the show, Campbell has been out there running a lot of routes, but just not earning any targets. Perhaps this focus on getting the ball out quickly will be will be good for him going forward. Yeah, he's been kind of a slot underneath guy, so the eleven targets for him makes sense within the context of the the faster time to throw. Uh, Alec, Alec Pierce also had a touchdown here, getting seven targets, three for forty nine for him. Yeah, imagine he was kind of in more of a, a deep threat capacity, but you know, I guess a decent right. day for the rookie. And, and yeah, right, it, it was it was fine. Alec Pierce is not going to benefit. We talked about guys who will benefit. We whoever's the you know plays running back, whoever is uh, uh, going to be the slot guy here the, today. It was uh, Paris Campbell. Uh, anytime he's healthy, he's going to take that role. Uh, but it's not going to benefit Alec Pierce. And after Pierce's sort of mini breakout last week against Denver. Uh, he saw seven targets, caught three for 45. You know, importantly, though, he did. He caught the 28-yard uh, touchdown to win the game with 17 seconds left, and Matt Ryan was not hesitant uh, to to pepper him with targets in the fourth quarter um, as, as the Colts chased points and uh, made a comeback. 
So I, I think that it's clear, you know, the, it's hard to measure this with analytics, but uh, Matt Ryan trusts the rookie receiver. <laughs> and I think that'll go a long way for him this season. Off the charts on the trust metric. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> let's go to the Jaguar side where it sounds like Travis Etienne, although still in a split workload with James Robinson, really kind of distinguished, distinguished himself today. Yeah, I mean, just so much uh, more productive. You know, you have Travis Etienne, uh, 10 carries for 86 yards. Uh, it's not It's not like James Robinson was bad. I mean, he, tw- he, he had 12 carries for 54 yards, averaged four and a half yards per carry. Um, Etienne also had two catches for 20 yards. Robinson had one catch for one yard. And if you look at the route running data, it's it's kind of what you would expect. Uh, 14 uh, routes on 28 dropbacks, so 50% route rate for Etienne. Uh, Robinson only got six. I'm sorry. Robinson only got eight routes. And then Jamichael Hasty got a little bit of playing time today. Uh, Hasty had six routes on the day, one uh, one target. Hasty, of course, ripped off a long touchdown in this game on his only carry, uh, his second carry of the season. Uh, so I guess wow. that's the way it goes sometimes. But I, I, I think it's pretty clear that Doug Peterson is you know, should, I think, feel compelled at this point to say, let's give the rookie a shot, you know, let, let's, let's feed Travis Etienne a little bit, but who knows, honestly, it, it seems like Robin, like uh, Doug Peterson is intent on keeping Robinson involved. Yeah. That's 61 yard rushing uh, touchdown for Jermichael Hasty. Feels like that should go to Etienne. Give, give that to Etienne. I thought it was when it, when it first <laughs> happened, I thought, Oh, there, okay. never mind. <laughs> What about the receiving game here where Christian Kirk got back in the end zone four for 24 though? Uh, not, not the best receiving line for him on yeah. five targets. Yeah. I mean, only, only 28 dropbacks on the day. So it's, uh, you know, no one's going to pop unless they score multiple times. And uh, Christian Kirk was out there. He ran a hundred percent route rate along with Zay Jones, um, you know, but Zay Jones saw one more target than Christian Kirk. Uh, as did Evan Ingram. So I feel like the the hope that uh, sprung eternal for Christian Kirk in those season's first two or three weeks uh, is uh, slowly fading. And this this Jags offense, uh, you you know, you wrote up in your column this 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 past week, the walkthrough that the Jags offense um, has been truly abysmal over the past two weeks. Now this is, this is three weeks in a row where they've, they've been, they've been bad. Like there's no two ways about it. Trevor Lawrence has been bad. The rushing game has not been great, better than the passing game, but still not great. And uh, I think, you know, Christian Kirk's going to have a hard time thriving in that kind of environment. It seems like they must've gone pretty conservative here with the play calling, you know, given that they never had like a gigantic lead. Right. And, uh, and so that's, you know, to only throw 22 times in a game where your opponent throws 58 times and was like a fairly competitive match that you then lose. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if they were way under pass rate over expected. Yeah, yeah, that's that's definitely how it feels, which is going to make it tough. I mean, Zay Jones here led the team with just 42 receiving yards. Uh, Kirk actually did. Oh, no, sorry. Evan Ingram <laughs> yeah. led the team with six targets. Yeah, uh, that's probably never going to be a good sign. No, no. And, and uh, Trevor, I had to say, uh, if anybody saw the end of the game, it was very curious that the Jags had a maybe a 55, 58 yard Hail Mary opportunity at the end of the game. And instead, they ran a trick play. Uh, and oh. I think it's because Trevor Lawrence can't throw that far, which is really 
something. I mean, last last week he threw a 35 yard hail mary on a on a on a pass that required a 50 yard hail mary. So oh, I I think I I don't know if there's something wrong with Trevor Lawrence, but um, his his velocity seemed like really low today on on throws where he tried to force it into coverage. Uh, it, that that arm strength is an issue. I'm telling you. Interesting. That was yeah. like he's not supposed to have a weak arm. No, I know. <laughs> <Crazy>. <laughs> We're going to get the Russell Wilson uh, shoulder. I I wouldn't be surprised, honestly. All right, let's move to the Bills, who defeated the Chiefs 24-0. to zero. This well, is a game. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Did I say to zero? <laughs> it felt like to zero. It was a little slower than we were hoping. 24-20. Right. to 20. My apologies yeah. to the Chiefs. Go. But, uh, you know, this was a revenge game, revenge win here for the Bills after they lost in the playoffs. It was, and and Josh Allen would not lose this game. He went for 329 yards, three touchdowns, only took one sack. Uh, he did face a fair amount of pressure, but only took the one sack. Uh, he also rushed 12 times for 32 yards, including a, a highlight reel leap over a defender on the sideline late in the game, late in the fourth quarter, as the Bills drove down for a, a game-winning touchdown. Uh, just an incredibly impressive performance overall and josh allen did josh allen things um he uh he targeted stefan diggs heavily he had 13 targets here 10 10 catches for 148 and a touchdown gabe davis scored another touchdown uh for on 74 yards uh he, he was only targeted six times though you know that that's the thing with old gabe like you're you're gonna get your touchdown probably you know on, in these high scoring games you're not going to get more than like six or seven targets, right? I like um, call him old Gabe. Old Gabe. Yeah. He's, he's like 23 years old. <laughs> yeah. He's in his third year. But I, I like it. Yeah. I mean, Diggs, Diggs absolutely dominating here. 10 for 148 and a touchdown. Um, and from what I saw, did, did really seem to be like kind of the go-to guy, especially as they were, they were coming back here. Yes. Yeah, it was it was all digs all the time. I wouldn't be too like bullish on Dawson Knox going forward, even though he he caught the game winning touchdown. Uh, he was only targeted three times, went for thirty seven yards and a touchdown. But twenty of those yards came on that uh, game winning score. You know, I, I he hasn't really been involved. hasn't had great route participation rates. Uh, hasn't uh, commanded targets so far this season by any means. Of course, that was never his thing in the first place. So. Uh, no one, no one was really expecting that. Uh, so let's not, let's not get, you know, ahead of ourselves with Dawson Knox this week. Isaiah McKenzie seemed like he had a really rough game from what I saw. He did really rough Two two instances jump out one, uh, and a pretty easy touchdown in, in the end zone. And, and, and he, he slipped or tripped on over his own feet. It was unclear, but, uh, couldn't come up with it on a fourth down at the goal line. And, you know, and then later on in the game, uh, he had, you know, what would look like could have been a great long catch and run from near his own goal line and jumped too early, you know, wasn't wasn't in sync with Josh Allen uh, throughout the game, including on on that pass. Uh, He ends up with, uh, let's see, I'm looking at Shakir right now, Um, uh, McKenzie, two catches on five targets, only nine yards. Uh, Shakir, uh, Khalil Shakir, who played the slot last week with McKenzie out, only saw one, uh, uh, two targets, caught one for for 14 yards. You know, after this performance, we I guess we shouldn't be too shocked if Shakir works his way back into the lineup a little bit. 
Yeah, I also saw there was a fumble that was ultimately charged, I guess, to Josh Allen, but um, it was like yes. a, a backwards pass, you know, I very close to – they had to review it and everything. That's um, right. So it, was it, it, was a, it, was a, it was a flip to McKenzie. McKenzie just didn't seem like like in the game. Like I, I don't know where that guy's head, head was at, but it wasn't in the game. In the backfield, it seems like Devin Singletary is starting to kind of take this backfield back over. Things have been kind of trending that direction, but he had 17 rushes here for 85 yards. Yeah. Four for 22 as a receiver on five targets. Uh, and I do not see uh, Zach Moss here. Zach Moss was a was a healthy scratch uh, okay. today, and that left James Cook and Devin Singletary as the only Bills running backs. Uh, Singletary ha- had good usage here, uh, the, you know, the kind of usage that we have seen pretty much over the last three weeks. Uh, he's 17 carries for 85 yards. He also caught four passes for uh, 22 yards uh, on five targets. Uh, Cook was not targeted, uh, as far as I can tell. So, uh, you know, it's all Singletary all the time in this backfield. I think Singletary still profiles as a nice floor option, uh, probably yeah. in PPR formats, um, you know, with maybe a little bit of upside, but but not a ton. You know, t- Tony Romo and Jim Nance kept talking throughout this game. About, well, the Bills are, they're eventually going to have to establish the run. They're eventually going to have to <laughs> run it. And this team, this team has to, has to learn how to run if they're going to win. And, and it's like, no, they're not like this team. They will. I know we're used to saying that, you know, but it's not going to happen with this team. And so people who, you know, drafted Devin Singletary have to come to terms with that too. Also, like when they do establish it, it's with Josh Allen running like the quarterback power. Play. Yes, that's right. Yeah. It's a totally different take on establishing it. Right. On the um, chief side here, Juju Smith-Schuster had a pretty nice receiving line, five for one, 113, mm-hmm. one five targets, uh, got in the end zone, had a 42-yard receiving touchdown. Um, yeah. just, how did he look? He was just uh, spry out there? Uh, I don't know if I'd describe it as spry. Um, you know, his touchdown came on just an inexplicable play by the Bills' defense. They had three defenders around him two of whom could have easily should have easily tackled uh, Smith Schuster after like a 12 yard gain. And uh, you know, to his credit, he, he broke out of the tackle and, and rumbled down the sideline, not, not looking spry. I, I don't think, but uh, you know, who am I to judge um, on that play? I, there was sort of like his acceleration yeah. after, after he got away. I was like, Oh, he's definitely getting tackled. But then they zoomed out. I was like, Oh, there he, there's no one even close to him. Like he's actually going to score. That's what I thought. You got, Cause you, you just, you're used to seeing, I mean, you know, let's just be honest. Used to seeing a guy that slow being caught, but he was so far ahead, ahead of everyone that it didn't, it didn't matter. And that's good. Good for him. I mean, I'm, I'm glad for Juju that he got his first touchdown as a chief. Uh, you know, we talked on the preview show. I, I did about Marquez Valdez Scantling uh, looking like he was separating from Juju in the pecking order for Kansas City, and and that that did not come to fruition today. Three targets, uh, no receptions. Of course, MBS had a touchdown called back early in the game, but it, it wouldn't have been much. I mean, you're talking about one short touchdown catch, so it wasn't like a a, a huge downfield play. Um, so the, I, so I think beyond Kelsey, I think that this, uh, you know, pass catching pecking order be, be, remains inscrutable for our purposes. 
You have a theory that Sky Moore is a uh, Zoomer psyop, and the fact that he was targeted on Mahomes' final interception to end the game, I feel like, doesn't necessarily hurt your theory. No, I, I, I think I think this is a psychological operation against all <laughs> fantasy football managers, and uh, and and yeah, I mean, he Mahomes threw that that back breaking pick late in the fourth quarter when he was targeting Sky Moore. And I I don't know whose fault it was, but all I know is that. <laughs> Only bad things happen when, when you target Sky Moore so far in his, <laughs> in his young career. Oh, no. Well, let's talk about Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, who, uh, you know, we there's been an ongoing Twitter battle about, you know, whether or not we'd get regression for Clyde Edwards-Hilaire because he's yeah. been running pretty hot to start the season. Did not have a very good game here. Nine for 33 as a rusher. Uh, did he even get targeted? Uh, no, no, he did not. Uh, Jarek McKinnon... Saw three targets, caught all three for 29 yards. Uh, oh, even Isaiah Pacheco was targeted twice, caught both of them for nine yards, but hmm. uh, CEH was not involved in the passing game. And yeah, I mean, yeah, it was it's it's it was the most slam dunk regression situation in recent memory. You know, like a running back is not going to continually catch touchdowns at the goal line. Like that's that just doesn't happen. No one, no one does that, but much less a running back. So um, yeah, that that's that's over with. Uh, I think if you did not trade away Ceh this week, this past week, you may be in trouble going forward. Any thoughts on the quarterbacks before we close out here? Because it seemed like you know some some mistakes. You mentioned the McKenzie stuff, the turnover, the yeah. fumble loss, plus the lack of a fourth down conversion. Mahomes obviously throws the backbreaking game ending interception. Also threw another pick, but. Both went over 300 yards, five total combined touchdowns between the two. Not a terrible day. No, you know, Mahomes, uh, I think, had a really good game for the type of defense that he faced, which was, um, you know, a Bills defense that does not blitz, that's d- disciplined in that in that way, but still provides pressure and, and puts pressure on the quarterback. And they did that today. Mahomes made several just incredible escapes from pocket pressure, spinning, jumping, leaping, getting out of the pocket, making those crazy throws that he does. Uh, but he was sacked three times. He faced a lot of pressure on that last throw where he threw an interception while, while targeting Sky Moore. And, um, and, you know, so this is pretty much like the nightmare defensive situation for a uh, former homes. Uh, and he still went for, uh, however, three, 385 yards or whatever it was. Um, yeah. 338. I'm sorry, 338 and three uh, and two touchdowns. So, you know, not all in all, uh, a decent fantasy outing. And I, I think you can be pretty confident in Mahomes going forward. All right. Denny Carter, thanks. The Giants defeated the Ravens 24 to 20. Lamar Jackson now has three straight games with only one score. And the Ravens have scored 20 points or less in three straight weeks. Zach Kruger, what's going on with the Ravens? Uh, what's going on with the Ravens is is they're not getting a, a lot of points and opportunities where I think they they should be finding uh, more ways to score than than they are. And then on top of that, uh, despite playing somewhat sound football, uh, they now have three losses on the season and they've really not spent a lot of time trailing. Uh, the Giants scored their 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 
final touchdown, which was gave them their only lead of the day with under two minutes to go in the game. And it really didn't matter for the Ravens in that regard. Uh, on, the fi- on the following drive, Lamar Jackson was strip-sacked on the first or second play of that and uh, turned the ball over, and that, and that was it. So the Ravens are not uh, posting enough points despite – relatively solid play they did struggle a little bit throughout this one and, and then when when the clutch time shows up they're they're failing to uh to get the job done lamar jackson actually turned the ball over on each of the ravens final two possessions an interception mm-hmm. that ended up setting up the saquon barkley go-ahead touchdown and then again i just mentioned that this the sack and strip fumble uh that gave the ball back to the giants and allowed them to run the rest of the clock out so it, it's been tough sledding for the ravens in their in their losses, despite the fact that they have not trailed very long in those losses. Yeah, this has been uh, definitely a bit of a disappointing stretch for Lamar Jackson, but Mark Andrews continues to be absolutely dominant. 11 targets here, 7 for 106 and a touchdown. Yeah, Mark Andrews was, was awesome in this one. Uh, the one thing that I did note of him in this game is the fact that each of his receptions went for 11 yards or more like he was just he was just double digit yards the entire way through obviously he had a a couple balls that he didn't catch but every all seven of his receptions was for 11 plus yards his shortest uh obviously that 11 yard and then he had a 12 yard touchdown where he just kind of outran a a defensive back to the end zone on a little bit of like a corner out to to get the score um andrew's super solid again in this one the 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 clear-cut leader in this offense as far as targets go. I'm not really surprised here, especially with Rashad Bateman out once again. Uh, he, he he just kind of did what we expect him to do. And I, th- I think, if anything, it's very encouraging to see Mark Andrews officially um, kind of just put together this, this dominant performance week in, week out, where I think he just continues to move a little bit closer towards the Travis Kelsey conversation for fantasy dominance. Although it seems like every week Travis Kelsey also ups the ante a little bit more. So he might be paying attention to Andrews, but he's been very exciting so far this season. They're certainly in their own tier. I, th- I think we can say yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Devin Duvernay mm-hmm. kind of disappointed here as someone you know maybe was like, oh, is this guy on the fantasy radar? He only had one for fourteen on five targets. Uh, I assume in you know a similar kind of deep threat type role. Yeah, I, honestly, the the Devin Duvernay thing kind of kind of surprised me. After after I did it, I take pretty decent game notes, I think, throughout. And, and the one thing that I noticed is I, I didn't have a lot written on Devin Duvernay, so I think he was just getting missed on the targets that he saw. I thought that mm-hmm. the Giants did a pretty good job overall of kind of keeping the Ravens receivers largely shut out in this one. Uh, they did face former defensive coordinator uh, Wink Martindale for the first time since he left after last season. So it was certainly a familiar foe from that perspective, uh, a defensive coordinator who's been going against Lamar Jackson for years and years in practice now. I think found ways to shut him out. Uh, Duvernay, like you said, he had just the one catch on a day. It went for 14 yards. Um, he did not see any backfield touches, which is something that we saw a little bit of him last week against the Bengals. So uh, definitely a disappearing act, uh, enough to completely disappear from my uh, from, from my from my game notes as well. I, I didn't see anything on him that really made him stand out to me. Uh, Demarcus Robinson did have a, a semi decent day as far as volume goes. He and Duvernay both saw five targets. Robinson caught three of those for 27 yards. He actually had a touchdown. Uh, Demarcus Robinson did that was within his reach um, for a moment until uh, defensive back Julian Love, a safety for the Giants, came up and broke, broke up the pass on what was otherwise a pretty good throw by Lamar Jackson to what would have been a wide-open wide open Demarcus Robinson. So uh, Robinson had a couple moments there to do some things. But, yeah, Devin Duvernay just kind of disappeared in this one as well. Um, a little bit disappointing performance for him. J.K. Dobbins disappeared as well. Seven for 15 for him. Kenyon Drake led the backfield with 10 rushes. Kenyon Drake had 119 yards and a touchdown today. Mm-hmm. Pretty 
pretty impressive performance for Drake. How did he look? Drake looks surprisingly good. Um, obviously, I mean, when, when you're averaging over 11 yards per carry, I guess surprisingly good is probably about the only word that I can really use for you. Uh, you mentioned Dobbins was out. Uh, Harbaugh said after the game that he doesn't think his knee responded well to the turf at MetLife Stadium. It tightened up on a little bit. That's why he was out, and I think that kind of just gave way for Drake to have the day that he did. His first score came on a 30-yard run. Uh, he later added another 30-yard run on the afternoon to go with the 20-yard rush. Um, in all, uh, Kenyon Drake saw four carries on the day of 20-plus yards. So he literally was just breaking off one wow. big run after another. I think that J.K. Dobbins, the, the early post-game prognosis on him, doesn't appear that it's going to be anything too severe based on the way Harbaugh kind of downplayed it after the game. But I think that heading into next week's game against the Cleveland Browns, just based on what we saw of Kenyon Drake, Drake is probably someone you might want to stash on the waiver claims um, just ahead of this this upcoming game in case Dobbins for some reason does set because he, he he finally looked good. Uh, Drake has not been great for much of the season, but he saw some room to run in, run in this one and, and was really just kind of you know gauging the Giants on one, one run after the other. So it, it was a good performance for him. Yeah, and I'll note that Lamar Jackson did have 77 rushing yards uh, in this game, even though you know it wasn't his best game overall. But on yeah. the other side, let's talk Saquon Barkley, who had 22 rushes, 83 yards, and a touchdown here. Um, you know, still decent day for Saquon. Yeah, a decent day for Saquon. Credit to the Ravens for really just kind of locking him up. I thought at times they kind of looked like the Ravens defense of old, where they, where they were aggressive at crashing the line and getting to the ball carrier, really doing a good job at limiting Barkley on the ground, averaged under four yards per carry uh, there. And then in the receiving game, there was a very noticeable um, focus on making sure that Barkley did not get lost in, in the mix on, on passing downs. Um, you could always see that they either had a linebacker or a safety somewhere near him to limit his targets on the afternoon. The Ravens did a very good job at shutting him uh, really down throughout the entire game. His, his lone score came on a one-yard rushing touchdown, which was shortly after the Lamar Jackson uh, interception late in the fourth quarter, which which put the Giants in excellent field position. They were only a couple yards away from the end zone after the pick. Uh, Barkley got in the end zone a few plays after that, and then he actually dove at the goal line um, on the Giants' final possession he could have walked in about a seven yard score after he got the first down he did what every fantasy manager hates they saw him take a knee uh mm -hmm. prioritized team over fantasy points and just walked away with the one touchdown uh performance on what could have easily been a two touchdown day for barkley but the ravens defense locked him up uh in large but but credit them for getting the score where it counted and putting the game away for the giants let's talk uh daniel bellinger and wandale robinson two rookies here who led the team uh, not with a ton of receiving yards, 38 mm -hmm. yards for Bellinger, which are the highest on the team, and Wondell Robinson just behind with 37. The only guys above 25 yards, uh, 25 receiving yards on the entire team. Both Bellinger and Robinson scored. Robinson obviously making his debut. I thought I saw the score. I thought he looked pretty good, kind of, you know, uh, agile, kind of able to, to get around the corner very quickly on, on that play, I thought. Yeah, no, I thought Robinson looked good. You mentioned the score. He, he looked pretty elusive on it. It was just a five-yard touchdown, but it, it was one where he definitely made his way um, away from the defense, just kind of outran everybody to get to the ball and, and get the score. He had two other catches on the day, one for 15 yards, the other one for 17 yards. Um, the 17-yard reception was actually came on the drive where Daniel Bellinger was able to score the five-yard touchdown that he had. I'm sorry, Bellinger had an eight-yard touchdown. He scored an eight-yard touchdown for Bellinger. Um, Robinson contributed on that drive to eventually get them in the scoring position. But I, th I thought he was very solid overall. Um, you know, it, 
Wanda Robinson had 37 yards and a touchdown. It's not like he he set the world on fire, but in an offense that is desperately in need of wide receiver talent, um, with Kadarius Tony and Kenny Galladay both out with injuries and Kenny Galladay just simply not living up to his contractual obligations, it's good to see someone like Robinson return from injury and actually have a semi-productive day. And then for Bellinger, he kind of is just continuing to see um, – volume come his way it was his second five target day in four weeks he had 38 yards in that touchdown um as i previously mentioned that touchdown put the giants within a field goal of the ravens late in the fourth quarter and then shortly after the lamar turnover the uh the the giants went down scored again to take the lead and ultimately win the game i thought it was a really good day for bellinger who was just kind of the the chain mover showed up on a couple plays and made him count whenever he did securing all five of his targets for 38 yards um i I think he'll be at least a streaming option for anyone who might be in need of a tight end next week against the jaguars all right zach kruger thank you take care pat have a good one the Patriots defeated the Browns 38-15. to Kyle Dvorak as Bailey Zappi gets his first road win. Hopefully many more to come. He played well. Let the, let the kid play a few more games. See how it goes. If it doesn't go well, you've got Mac Jones stashed to put him back out there. But, I mean, the Zappi was putting in work in this game. He topped 300 yards. He looked really good. In the first quarter or so, I kind of felt – I started feeling a little bit anxious. He sailed a handful of throws, and I was – concerned about this like uh this unheralded rookie making me watch a whole four quarters of him playing football and he just got in rhythm started hitting all his throws to be fair the browns defense uh they really did not have a ton of interest in covering in this game but good quarterbacks see those breaks in coverage and beat them consistently and zappy looked like a legitimate starting nfl quarterback doing that so uh it was was a good game from the zappy side the brown side was egregious yeah, as far as the receivers go, I guess it wasn't quite as exciting because Jacoby Myers had been kind of uh, a target dominator and he wasn't really here. Only had four targets going four for 60. Devontae Parker actually had six targets going four for 64. And Hunter Henry led the team with seven targets going four for 61 and a touchdown. But, you know, I guess spreading the ball around isn't a bad thing uh, from a quarterback perspective. Yeah, if you're doing it successfully, it's not an issue. And I, I think, if anything, the success sort of was related to the fact that he was just finding the the one laps and coverage that the Browns were giving up every single play. He wasn't just saying, well, I'm just going to throw Jacoby Myers in a tight window. He's just the guy I'm going to go to. He was picking his spots and hitting them well in this game. Uh, so I, I would think if he spread the ball around and you saw a bunch of targets that didn't do anything for Hunter Henry, you'd be like, well, what's the issue here, right? It's like, it's like the Cardinals thing. Like, why are these players who aren't being successful getting a lot of targets? I'll be... Cardinals are on my mind right now, but that's not the case here. They He was just finding the open guys, had a yards per attempt over nine. It looked great. Like you said, uh, Devontae Parker had a beautiful catch in this game. He, he absolutely elevated. It was like almost almost horizontal midair to, to beat one of the Browns' corners. Uh, Jonu Smith had a great uh, run after the catch where he just grown man two cornerbacks trying to take him down. It was just a, kind of a firing all cylinders from the team. Jacoby Myers made the most of his four catches, 60 yards, and the team just didn't need him. In a game where you're playing high pace, you're you know maybe behind or at least in contention, which this game wasn't by the third quarter. Uh, maybe Jacoby Myers is more involved, but there's nothing that concerned me from his usage in this game. The team just played well on all fronts. Yeah, and Ramondre Stevenson got in the end zone twice here. He had 19 rushes for 76 yards. He also had five targets going four for 15. So, you know, maybe the yards per outrun probably still aren't going to be very good. He's struggled. Yeah. Uh, more than we thought as a receiver this year, but been very good as a rusher, which he obviously was solid here getting in the end zone twice. But, hey, the targets per out, Ron, will be, will be pretty good, I assume, with those five targets. 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. He'll take it. Look, we don't need him. The way he's running right now and how much they're running him, we don't need him to be, you know, McCaffrey through the air, right? We just need him to have a pulse through the air. And uh, he showed that this game, and that's kind of what was important. So to me, he got all of the carries. They had Pierre Strong, who I think was inactive last week. And I assume Kevin Harris was. was also inactive last week. Those two combined for four carries. No no concerns about the workload and none of the backups, I, I don't believe, saw a single target. So he got the entirety of the workload. It was awesome. I, I'm, you know, he got bottled up a few times, but then broke like a 30 or seven yard run, I think, for a touchdown. So it looked great from all fronts. You know, as long as Damien Harris, who's like, they, they made him questionable for this game. It's Bill Belichick, just absolute uh, chicanery, tomfoolery with all of these guys who are questionable and clearly not going to play. I don't know if we see Damian Harris next week either, despite him being questionable for this week. I'm not sure we see him next week. And if that's the case, we're getting like Ramondre low end RB1 season. Yeah, I think uh, with with Bill Belichick, it's sort of like until the guy's like literally active, I'm just not going to believe. Like, right. You just have to assess based on like, how bad the injury looked, how, what, how like bad the initial prognosis was, the fact that we're probably going to have Damian Harris getting in a limited practice on Friday or whatever is, I, I'm not, I'm not buying that. Um, but let me ask you about the Brown side here with Nick Chubb getting bottled up, uh, twelve carries, fifty six yards, does not score. Kareem Hunt, four for twelve. That's it. It was, it's kind of a disaster here for a rushing game that had been incredibly efficient entering this game. Yeah, and I mean, not like especially from the Nick Chubb perspective, he ran for 4.7 yards per carry. The team just only ran with their running backs a total of 16 times, which is sort of unheard of from this team that is essentially trying to play hide the Jacoby Brissett, who up until this point, I think it exceeded some expectations. He definitely had his downswings, but overall it wasn't as bad as it had looked. This is the sort of downside we had been able to ignore from Jacoby Brissett up to this point. Throws it 45 times, doesn't even sniff 300 yards. One score, which was pretty late in the game. You could argue it was garbage time. Pair of interceptions. Could have thrown another one as well, but DB couldn't get both feet inbounds. It was, uh, you know, it was the disaster performance that even tanks Nick Chubb because the team is just so far behind. They can't afford to run him, even though he ran fine. It's not like he had 25 carries for 45 yards or some terrible yards per carry. It was the opposite. Looked fine as a runner. Could not get enough volume to really get there, barring, you know, him breaking the long, long run, which he didn't get in this one. So the, the running back usage is roughly what I came to expect just of a pie that was very unfortunate because they got blown out. The receiving game, definitely a little bit disappointing here because, you know, the 45 attempts from Brissett, you'd think maybe, okay, there's some kind of come from behind garbage time type of uh, production that we might get out of the receivers. But, you know, to your point of Brissett just not looking good in this context and the Browns don't ever want to be in this type of situation does this make you worry that maybe the pie is always going to be super small, at least for as long as Brissett's the starting quarterback? Uh, David Njoku had six targets going three for 58. Um, Donovan Peoples-Jones led the team with 74 receiving yards going four for 74 and five targets. Marty Cooper had 12 targets, but only went four for 44. He does score the one Jacoby Brissett uh, touchdown. Yeah, I, it's exactly as you pointed out. The the times where they're throwing 45 times in this case, which was, I believe, 10 more attempts than Brissett has thrown at any point this year. The times where he throws 45, it's not because they are in, it's, it's likely that they weren't in some sort of fun shootout where both teams scored 38 or 40 points. 
It was that they got to garbage time because they were garbage. For a team that mm-hmm. wants to run the football, that's how you get a lot, a lot of attempts. You don't get a lot of attempts because you are absolutely cooking with gasoline through the air. Once they get up, we know they're going to run the football. If they're passing a lot, it's because things didn't go well to start the day. So I, I kind of agree with your assessment that the pie will never be massive and it will have days where it is not particularly good. The only like good part of, of the passing attack is that we saw once again, it's clearly Amari Cooper. He is absolutely dominating the targets, dominating the air yards, can score touchdowns. So even as the pie, you know, sort of expands and shrinks and it doesn't look great and shrinks a little more, Amari Cooper's just that guy. He's just going to dominate the targets and air yards. So you're comfortable starting him. Even if the offense is bad, like that, you know, they sort of outperformed expectations over the past few weeks, even if they regress to look like a team helmed by Jacoby Brissett, I still think you're like pretty comfortable going with Cooper as a wide receiver too. Yeah, for sure. I think we might see some some regression drumbeat for him after a performance like this. All right, let's move to the Seattle Seahawks, who defeated the Arizona Cardinals 19-9. to uh, <laughs> This is a game where you really start to worry about the Cardinals, who have now been held to 21 or fewer points four times this season. Yeah, I mean, we, we, we've talked about the Cardinals before. We've been worried. At this point, we're almost just like, this is just what it is. This team is is just hopelessly bad. I, I don't. What, this like, was the matchup, though. I mean, the Seahawks cannot stop the pass. The, you know, the, the Seahawks. The, the, Andy they, Dalton looks good against this team. Yeah, exactly. Like Andy Dalton looks good against this team. Jared Goff and I think a lot of Goff's weapons were banged up and not in the oh, game. Where yeah, they that's, he was out without Amon Ross St. Brown, DeAndre Swift. Oh, it was the TJ Hawkinson Sharp. nuke week. It was the TJ Hawkinson nuke yep. week where TJ Hawkinson, who hadn't really been in anybody up to that point during the season, he oh, he gets the matchup and he goes nuclear and the Reynolds went off everyone went off unreal and and this team the Cardinals were the reason we're talking about them cannot do it none of them go off Kyler Murray saves his day with 100 yards on the ground and the most hilarious thing is that I I believe the Seahawks entered this game uh third to last in just total sacks generated they got to they got to him six times for a total loss of 51 yards that they got to Murray the offensive line looked bad Murray looked skittish in the pocket and then obviously the, the, the worst part about it is whenever he goes to throw, it's to Rondale Moore for less than five yards a target. And, and Zacherts has a good, quote, good day and is getting like seven yards per target. And they actually see each of them, Ertz and Moore, one more target apiece than Marquise Brown, who actually left this game. We can get to that. But it's just a complete disaster to the point where like Ertz, because he's a tight end, sure, you can start him. But I, you know, I don't, I don't really care to start Rondale more too much. I was excited about, you know, Benjamin, but the fact that the offense is so dreadful, I, I'm starting, you know, a, a, he's getting a lot of the work, but it's, it's legitimately one of the worst offenses in the league. So how excited can you be about that? It's all, it's all bad, except for the guy who gets probably all of the targets, which we've seen from Marquise Brown recently, maybe DeAndre Hopkins comes back to play that role. Yeah, I, this was like a, a total disaster. Six yards per attempt for Murray, again, against a defense that just is bad, just straight up bad against the pass. Uh, you know, and he threw 37 times. You know, you'd think there'd be some kind of production here. So it's definitely, man, One I mean, think. I hope DeAndre Hopkins is like all of a sudden peak DeAndre Hopkins. because Well, you, the thing you're alluding to is that last year, his numbers were nearly career lows. They were lows dating back to his rookie year yep. when he hadn't like he broke out in his second year and it just he took off after that. He was lows in nearly every metric, both market share and efficiency last year when he was on the field. So I say maybe DeAndre Hopkins comes in. I assume 
uh, you know, Marquise Brown got rolled up. He went up for like a jump ball. Defender came down and, and uh, rolled up on his leg. It wasn't Carter, but he couldn't walk on the leg. He had to get help off. So I assume it looked bad. I assume we're not seeing him for a, like the next week. Let's just call it the next week. I don't know if we'll see him the next week. You want DeAndre Hopkins to come back off the PED suspension and be that stud that he used to be. But I have little confidence in that. And it's not like the scheme is going to any in any way sort of help him resurge, revive his career after a down 2021. So we could even somehow have not found the bottom on this offense, honestly. Yeah, that's a great point if we don't have Brown because A.J. Green is who we were hoping DeAndre Hopkins was replacing. And then (laughs) Brown's out there healthy and able to draw coverage deep. But if they... You know, if they're just replacing Marquise Brown with DeAndre Hopkins, I, I, don't, I honestly don't know. It's not enough. It's, it's almost yeah. certainly not going to be enough because they need a lot. They need they needed Marquise Brown to be healthy and then DeAndre Hopkins to come back and be the D-Hop we know and love. They needed both of those things to, ha- to be true. And obviously now it doesn't look like Marquise Brown will be healthy for the immediate future. Let's talk Eno Benjamin, who filled in here. He rushed 15 times, only for 2.5 yards per carry, 37 yards rushing. Uh, he was targeted three times, had three for 28 as a receiver, so a bit more efficient there. Uh, how did he look? And I would assume it, you know, he is the lead rusher for a terrible offense, apparently. So maybe maybe that's the problem. Yeah, that I mean, the offensive line for Arizona uh, played just abysmal football in both fronts. This should be a Seattle front seven that most teams can dominate because we've seen most teams can dominate them. Clean pockets for the quarterbacks, good running lanes, all that nonsense. Not not this offensive line. They got, you know, Benjamin bottled up. They gave pressures up for Kyler Murray, uh, who himself made plenty of mistakes in this game, but it wasn't easy for him. The only upside is that Benjamin really did dominate the the opportunities for the team out, carried Keontae Ingram 15 to 3, and none of the backups saw target. So you're getting all of the touches, essentially all the touches. It's just you have to discount them so heavily because of the offense. Let's move to the Seahawks side where Kenneth Walker had a pretty nice debut start here. Uh, 21 rushes, 97 yards, and a touchdown. He also did see three targets going two for 13 as a receiver. But, you know, he was basically kind of supposed to fill in for Penny as a similar type of two-down guy. And 4.6 yards per carry, gets in the end zone. Seems like he uh, he definitely acquitted himself well here. Yeah, he had a nice long run early in the game, and his touchdown run uh, was real cheeky. He had he had like a you know one on one type of situation with Byron Murphy, hit him with like a little head fake step, and then just high steps to the outside. And it's that like that sort of burst, that long run potential. It was ended up being like literally a short run, but you could tell that that's the type of play that he breaks long that we saw from Rashad Penny that made this offense so dynamic, especially like when Geno Smith is playing well, and then you can run the football well. It's a legitimately good sort of skill set to to have for a team. Gino didn't play great in this game, but it's also hard to give them too much, you know, stuff for this when at no point did you feel threatened by the Cardinals. So Kenneth Walker, you know, salting away a game on 21 carries, getting his touchdown. That's like all, obviously it's all they needed to do. When I was looking at this passing game, you know, heading into the week, it's like the nice thing about this passing game, not just that Gino Smith's playing well, but man, it's so concentrated and we can count on that. It will be concentrated every single week and nothing will change. Noah Fant led the team with seven targets, going six for 45. D. Eskridge finished second in receiving yards. D. Eskridge, three for 39. He only had three targets. I guess this comes down partially to inefficiency because Metcalf, he did have seven targets, but only went two for 34. But Tyler Lockett only had five targets, so two less than Fant, and he only had two for 17 on the day. So thoughts on what? why, why wasn't it Lockett and Metcalf? 
Uh, I mean, like the the math part of my brain uh, wants to just say like well, that's kind of just variance. That is just yeah. uh, just what happens. But Gino did have an off day. It was, it was a pretty middling performance from him. Uh, you know, DK Metcalf also had like a, a tough catch, but a, a catch that was a drop for him. So the offense clearly wasn't like running on all cylinders. Gino was also pressured a lot in this game. I, I gave you know I gave the Cardinals offensive line. Uh, you know, I let him have it for putting up a lot of pressures or allowing a lot of pressures for Kyler Murray. But, you know, the Seahawks don't get to escape unscathed either. We had five sacks for a loss of 37 yards. And the same way that Kyler Murray, his rushing stats are in some sense a product of the pressure. Obviously, it's how the running quarterbacks are going to escape some of the pressure. Geno Smith, 6 for 48 on the ground. Very evident that he was also under pressure. I don't want to say nonstop. It felt much, much less than Kyler Murray. But the sacks would tell you otherwise. The sacks would tell you it was also a bad performance from them. And to me, that's going to, you know, always, no matter who it is, throw a lot of wrenches into your offense. That's how you get D. Eskridge second on the team in receiving yards. That's how you get, you know, the three tight ends, again, piling up something like 10 targets. So I, I would assume that as they sort of normalize uh, and not give up as many pressures as they did this week, we resume to what has been a very strong prior, as you said. We should still be confident for the most part that this is a two receiver system and then like a random tight end scores a touchdown once every other week. Yeah, I think the bigger thing that maybe we are unsure about is that Geno Smith is the guy who he was to start the year. So if Geno Smith's yes. having down games and the targets aren't as concentrated, that that starts to make you worry that maybe, you know, like if teams start to be able to take away Metcalf and Lock a little bit more, then they realize, oh, the the whole thing kind of crumbles here for for Geno. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it would definitely crumble if we have to get the Eskridge and, and Colby Parkinson targets every week. Yeah, we, we can't have that. But Cal uh, Dvorak, appreciate it. Thank you. Just a reminder that if you don't have the NBC Sports Predictor app, go download it now. The contests are free and easy to play, and you have a shot to win thousands this week by predicting what will happen in college football, on the NASCAR circuit, and in the Premier League. There's also $100,000 up for grabs by guessing the outcome between the Steelers and the Dolphins in our Sunday Night 7 contest. The Bengals defeated the Saints 30-26, to but Alvin Kamara now has back-to-back games with 25-plus touches and over 120 scrimmage yards. Rivers McCown is Kamara, Kamara again. Kamara is what Andy Dalton needs, and Andy Dalton is, unlike Jameis Winston, a a big check down guy. Um, a lot of those re- receptions came during the fourth quarter comeback where the Saints were trying to take the lead and uh, Andy Dalton will reliably dump the ball off. So, yes, I think I think uh, Kamara's up, uh, at least on the ups at the moment with uh, Dalton under center. Yeah, he, uh, he had six receptions here on nine targets, which led the team. So to your point about Dalton being happy to dump it off, I mean – he did quite a few times here. He only had 25 receiving yards, but I think the nine targets is, you know, definitely exciting, especially if we get another Dalton start. 19 for 99 uh, on the ground, did not score. Uh, Rashid Shahid is the only rusher to score. He had one rush going 44 yards there. Uh, what was what was that play? That was the uh, end around play where uh, Eli Apple was supposed to cover him and instead went inside and decided hmm. that it was going to be a run outside to the other side. And Rashid Shahid is a very fast, um, like a punter turner kind of guy, so just sped right past everybody. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, and then tell me about the receivers here. I guess, does any of this matter? I guess Juwan Johnson. Let's talk Juwan Johnson because 
We didn't have Michael Thomas. We didn't have Chris Olave. We didn't have Jarvis Landry. But there's been, you know, early in the season, John Johnson was looking like he was the clear starting tight end. Then maybe it looked like things were moving towards Troutman a little bit. But Johnson here had six targets, which was third on the team. He had four for 41. Is he someone that we can maybe start to have any interest in and again? Yeah, Troutman left this game with an ankle injury. Um, he kind of like fell down behind the line of scrimmage as he was uh, going in motion. So that was weird. Uh, it turned out he was rolled up on the play before that. Uh, tried to come back at halftime, didn't go well, uh, left again, and was questionable to return. So I definitely think for week seven, uh, you, you know, your, your shit on Slate and whatnot for Thursday night, um, uh, Johnson should be playable, uh, should be an interesting streamer kind of guy. I, I would I would stop at saying that he's back or anything because we don't know Olave status or, or whatever at this point, but or even who's quarterback. <laughs> but I do think <laughs> that if Johnson's given targets like this, yeah, I mean, we can see him pull some pull some decent games out. So Jamar Chase came alive in this game, seven for one thirty-two and two touchdowns on ten targets. He had a sixty-yarder. Uh, T. Higgins did play, going six for forty-seven on ten targets. But, you know, kind of a game time decision, reasonable to think he's was playing at less than full health. And Chase certainly benefited having a, a really nice game here. Yeah, the Saints got off to a early lead in this game on a punt return uh, that was fumbled away to them. So uh, once that happened, the Bengals pretty much abandoned the running game. They only had 14 rushes the entire day, uh, did a lot of RPO kind of things. And, yeah, Chase uh Took a 60-yarder in the fourth quarter, uh, kind of just ducked past who, who, who his uh, coverage man was and uh, just flew up field for the tutty. So that was nice. Higgins said after the game that he was at 85% for this game. So that's a very specific number. I kind of liked that. It kind of tells you well, that It's also the number he wears. <laughs> Indeed. But, yeah, well, I mean, I think for week seven, we can look at Higgins being closer to 100% again and – that's that's pretty exciting for anybody who went through last Sunday Night Football <laughs> with him <laughs> on their roster. I'm just saying, if he were 81, he would have been 81%. That's that's where that was um, coming from. <laughs> if you say so. <laughs> if you say so, <laughs> um, uh, Let me ask you about Joe Mixon. He got in the end zone. Um, yeah. He had eight for 45 as a rusher, didn't score there, but on five targets, he had four for 23 and a touchdown. Yeah, very encouraging usage, too. This was in the first quarter. He got, got the Bengals' first touchdown of the game. Uh, he almost he, he ran a fade route to play before he got the touchdown. So that was interesting. I haven't seen Joe Mixon out on quarterback in, in quite a bit. Uh, and then on his touchdown, Chase kind of drew the coverage over the top, and he kind of took like an underneath slant and uh, ran the rest of the way. So nice game for Mixon. Kind of salvaged the fact that they didn't run very much. All right, Rivers McCown. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks. No Texans. The Falcons defeated the 49ers 28 to 14 for the third time this year. The 49ers have been held under 17 points. I covered this game and the, the Falcons marched right down the field to start the game. Uh, this was a 74 yard drive, 11 play drive score, a touchdown, a short, I uh, believe three yard touchdown, uh, to Miko Pruitt, and uh, yeah, it was a, a two-yard touchdown. And yeah, they were pretty efficient, pretty impressive on that first drive. We saw some Tyler Algier, we saw some Caleb Huntley, uh, 
both guys getting involved. I believe Algier was in for uh, the goal line pass. At least he, he did see some work in terms of snaps in the goal line area. It wasn't just Huntley. But yeah, we we get that Miko Pruitt touchdown. We then, the next score was a Jeff Wilson fumble on a third and one where he went up the middle, ball stripped, and the Falcons returned that for a touchdown. And I think that created a very interesting dynamic and kind of an off-script dynamic for this 49ers offense that's used to having this defense really put them in positive situations and at least neutral situations where they can run, they can grind out the game, and they can win without scoring a ton of points. But yeah, the game script very much flipped on the 49ers here. And, you know, they also were dealing with a lot of injuries on their defense. Defense wasn't quite as strong as we saw on that first drive as well. After that, you know, it was kind of the the same type of 49ers offense that we're used to seeing. Their final meaningful drive of the game took over eight minutes and they didn't end up getting any points on it. And they were down 28 to 14 on that drive. Absolutely had to score a touchdown there, then get the ball back and score again. Um, And they had this really, really slow, long drive. Because I feel like, you know, that's, that's basically the way they have to play. They don't have like an alternate style of offense. It's, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo hitting short throws. And, you know, he really doesn't have much going on in terms of hitting longer throws. Brandon Ayuk got in the end zone twice here, first time in his career that he's done that. One was on a wide receiver screen. One was on, you know, still a fairly short throw. Uh, Debo Samuel was hit on a number of kind of screens or short throws. He looked great on some of those plays. I mean, he the the Debo Samuel you're used, you're used to seeing. He was that guy today. Looked, you know, as explosive as ever. You know, guys couldn't tackle him. Uh, all the the typical Debo stuff. He had seven for seventy nine on ten targets with Ayuk at eight for eighty three on eleven with the two touchdowns. The only two touchdowns of the day for the 49ers. George Kittle had eight for 83 here on 10 targets. That was encouraging. I will note that he could have had a touchdown here. Uh, there was a play kind of broke down and Garoppolo was like kind of rolling back over and, and Kittle could have gone to the corner of the end zone and would have scored, but he kind of flattened the route a little bit and, um, it kind of like a backyard football type of situation and just wasn't on the same page with Garoppolo in that play. And it, it does seem like Kittle probably misread what the right thing to do was. And Garoppolo kind of like badly overthrew where Kittle was, but he probably threw to where Kittle should have been. However, you know, so, so in that sense, Kittle could have had a bigger day on the other side of that though, Kittle saw three catches for 30 yards on the final drive of the game, which was no timeouts, like less, it was about a minute left, and there was just nothing. It was point, they might as well have kneeled, kneed on it. You know, it's just nothing was going to happen. They weren't going to be able to tie the game. And so they were just throwing the ball over the middle on the last play of the game. Like Kittle didn't even try to get out of bounds. He just ran as far forward as he could, stretched out the ball, and, you know, the, the game was over. Like there wasn't, they wasn't like they were trying to do some crazy trick play or anything because they're down two scores. So, you know, true garbage time production there for Kittle three for 30. Uh, yeah. Three for 30. So of his 83 yards 
you know, it's really like it was kind of a five for 50 day with that missed touchdown until that final drive. So I don't think it was like that encouraging of a game for Kittle personally, um, especially because like this was the type of script where we could have seen, you know, maybe a more voluminous passing game, but we didn't, you know, and, and to my earlier point, I just think that this team is not, they're not looking to do anything other than the kind of classic 49er football uh, style offense that we're used to. I mean, Garoppolo did throw 41 times, so it wasn't like they refused to throw, but um, it just, yeah, it, it's just not going to be that fun of a passing game, I think, on, under basically any circumstances. I will say that the 49ers were trying to suck volume out of this game. Or, sorry, not the 49ers. The, the Falcons were trying to pull volume out of this game, and it was the type of game where, you know, I'm covering it. I'm like, oh, we're the first to, you know, we're the first to all these check marks, first to halftime, first game to be over. Uh, and it was no surprise that it was the first game of the one o'clock window to end because the Falcons were doing everything they could to get this game over with as soon as possible. Caleb Huntley rushed 16 times. Tyler Algier rushed 15 times. These guys are definitely part of like a true committee. Um, Algier was the back used on the final drive where they were like, you know, trying to salt the game away, um, make sure that the 49ers couldn't get the ball back with any real time left and basically the game would be over. Um, and Algier looked pretty good. I think he got one first down during that drive. But, you know, situationally, I think that's probably a good sign that he was out there. Uh, I don't think either one of these guys necessarily has like a huge lead over the other, kind of a true committee, it seems like right now, at least in terms of like who's getting the work. Uh, as far as the receiving game goes, Kyle Pitts did score, got his first touchdown uh, in America. Uh, as Matthew Berry pointed out on uh, the Facebook Play Happy Hour, that he had not scored a, a touchdown yet um, outside of the London game. So here we are. We did it. Kyle Pitts, he, he scored a touchdown uh, in, in a game played in America, but only three for 19 on three targets. You know, so not not a great game um, for Kyle Pitts, really. And Marcus Mariota only threw 14 times. So you see how, you know, any time that the Falcons have a chance to just completely limit and eliminate really the passing game, they're going to do it. They're going to they're going to salt away basically any leads they get, any gifts they get on defense like this week with a defensive touchdown. That's just going to lead to a smaller, slower offense. Uh, Olamide Zacchaeus led the team with 58 receiving yards. Drake London only had three for 40 on four targets. That was the same number of targets as Zacchaeus. So, yeah, I think you just you need the Falcons to be pushed. Um, they play the Bengals next week. Like I, you know, I'm never that comfortable counting on the Bengals to push anyone, but maybe if the Bengals get up big, we'll get some uh, production here in kind of a, a garbage time or something. But yeah, kind of just a slow, grinded out game. If the 49ers had gotten up, I think they would have done the exact same thing to the Falcons. It's really who was in position to just bleed a lead. And in this game, it, it happened to be the Falcons. But that'll do it for the Atlanta Falcons and the Fort San Francisco 49ers. The Steelers defeated the Buccaneers 20-18 to in a game, Patrick Darty that gives us some concern for the Buccaneers offense that has only scored more than 21 points just once in 2022. Yeah, and this was against the Steelers team missing at least, I think their top three corners maybe, missing a safety, 
missing like a host of really, really, really key players in the secondary and, you know, missing TJ Watt. So the anchor of their pass rush and Tom Brady only averages 6.1 yards per attempt. They kept like with the pass heavy approach, he reaches 40 attempts again. They, they were running the ball a little bit too, 26 rushes, but it's not like they weren't trying to move the ball on the Steelers. They just could not. And it was encouraging. We got like more heavy Chris Godwin usage. I think he has at least six catches in each of his first three games back. 12 targets for Chris Godwin, but just inefficient all around for Tom Brady. He only converted half of those. Uh, no plays longer than 30 yards. Only two plays longer than 20 yards. And yeah, it should not have happened against the Steelers defense dismissing so, so many key players. And you know, no, no one was happy. Like that, that lifeless air was surrounding the team again. Brady just absolutely chewed out his offensive line, like in full view of the cameras at the end of the first half. And then uh, nothing changed in the second half. And then, like, you know, the, the announcers are insinuating that they weren't happy that he went to this wedding on Saturday night. Uh, Todd Bowles insinuated after the game, he, in case you didn't know, Tom Brady attended Robert Kraft's wedding Saturday night. And it just seems like everyone in the Bucks is mad at each other right now. And yeah, not going well. That doesn't seem great. Uh, Chris, Chris Godwin did have 12 targets going six for 95. Mike Evans had four targets going four for 42. Leonard Fournette got six going six for 38. So, I mean, Godwin, the 12 targets is nice, but Mike Evans, who, uh, you know, in case, you know, you happen to make him the cover boy of, uh, the weekly preview column you do, you probably weren't <laughs> super psyched to see four for 42 on four targets. No, they just weren't challenging down the field at all. It didn't really make any sense. It just, the Bucks had kind of seemed like they were getting into sync finally yeah. the past few weeks. And it was a really big step back on Sunday, just totally discombobulated and out of sync. And they were getting in the red zone at least, but they kept settling for field goals. And, you know, I guess understandably they thought they'd be able to beat the Steelers with field goals. But it's hard to beat anyone with just field goals. And even the Steelers, who split time between Kenny Pickett and Mitch Trubisky, if you set up for four field goals, there's a chance you're going to lose. And that's what happened to the Bucs on Sunday. Yeah, I mean, we didn't get a full Kenny Pickett game here. He left. Was it – he went to the concussion protocol. Is that right? It is the very first attempt of the second half. He took a huge – one of those huge hits. Where like He kind of got like helmet slapped, and then he fell back and smashed his head into the turf, went to the blue tent. Like had to be escorted very slowly to the locker room. Seemed to be like a clear cut concussion, and was indeed, and not just concussion protocol. Like uh, has been announced as a, a real deal concussion. Mm. Okay. Um, any thoughts on the Buccaneers backfield before we move to the Steelers? Fournette got in the end zone here as a receiver. Twenty one carry, sixty three yards. Rashad White had four for twelve. Out touched Rashad White twenty seven to seven. Leonard Fournette did. They finally no, finally is a strong word. Uh, for the first time since week two, they were going to him a lot on the ground. I think his first 20 carry performance since week two, but only 21 carries for 63 yards. And yeah, just nothing. So the Bucks weren't helping the pass game with the run. They weren't helping the running game with the pass. Just were not threatening the Steelers. No, almost no chunk plays. I, I don't know what to say really other than it's like nothing was working. And they just seemed so deeply unhappy. Uh, it's not to get into, uh, you know, uh, like therapist Twitter or whatever, or what do we call that? Like uh, armchair, but uh, this seemed very, very, very bad vibes for the Tampa Bay Bucks on Sunday. Fournette and uh, Najee Harris had a little bit of a Spider-Man meme thing going on here with uh, 
their rushing efficiency. Najee Harris, 14 carries, 42 yards, also three yards per carry, long of 14 yards. Uh, did did best Fournette there, who had a long of only 13 yards. Oh, my gosh. And he, they also had the Spider-Man meme where not producing on the ground, both happened to get home on receiving scores. And, you know, Jalen Warren plays over half the snaps in last week's blowout loss to the Bills. Mike Tomlin, like, very directly says during the week that he needs more playing time. They want him out there more. The Steelers scripted opening drive. They went for it on fourth down in the red zone. Jalen Warren got the carry and converted the carry. And it was kind of like you're feeling like, oh, crap, like this is actually like happening. Like they're really doing this. And then Najee Harris touched him 16-2 to two on the day. And it did not happen. They were not really doing it. And they are still sticking with Najee Harris. Chase Claypool had a pretty big game here. Seven targets, seven for 96, scores a touchdown. Uh, kind of the the bright spot of a passing game that was not productive. Not for, and it was kind of weird. It was one of those things where the box score doesn't tell the whole story because he only had two catches for twenty yards at halftime. Then Kenny Pickett goes out. It's Mitchell Trubisky. For some reason, they strike up like a big time connection together. And Chase Claypool, maybe you could say, was the player of the game. It's the Steelers are trying to salt the game away. Before the Steelers are trying to salt the game away, he scores one of the only touchdowns of the entire game kind of gets loose, gets lost in the end zone for a six-yard touchdown. And then with the Steelers in clock-killing mode on their final drive, they had a third and 11 and a third and 16. And Chase Claypool, who's not always known as like, you know, like the toughest over the middle of the field receiver, makes two really tough catches to move the chains on third and 11 and third and 16. And he put the game away for the Steelers. It was his most yards in over a calendar year since September of 2021. He has 12 catches over his past two games now. And, you know, a guy looks like maybe he's kind of fading his reestablishment. So I guess with the Steelers just going downfield at all, even though this was Mitchell Trubisky and not Kenny Pickett, um, signs of life the past two weeks from Chase Claypool. Download the Roto World app to receive breaking player news all season long. Stay ahead of the competition by favoriting players on your roster, get the latest injury updates, player news, and much more delivered right to your phone. It's available on your app store today. Let's move to the Rams who defeated the Panthers 24 to 10. Uh, this was a game where we thought, you know, we've got a new coaching staff here. Maybe, maybe things will pick up. Everything will work out now that uh, Matt rule has gone and they had a pick six scored 10 points and Robbie Anderson got kicked out of the game. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I don't even know where you begin with the Steve Wilkes, uh, who unfortunately I've seen, a little too much of. I'm a University of Missouri alum. I watch all their games. He was our defensive coordinator last year. And let's just say we are not one of the best defenses in the country. We are one of the best defenses in the country this year. Um, Steve, just playing the game, it was like the the ultimate playing not to lose instead of playing to win, which just never makes any sense when you're the interim coach because you have quite literally nothing to lose. Several times where they could have gone for it, like fourth and two, fourth and three, don't go for it. Uh, just not letting PJ Walker venture down the field whatsoever, which you know is fair. PJ Walker is just not good. It's it's not like the world's largest sample size, but it's large enough now. PJ Walker doesn't make plays like with any consistency, any regularity. Uh, his first three drives of the second half, you know, when the game's in the balance, the, the Panthers generated 16 yards of offense, and then the Rams were like, doing these marathon drives, taking up all the clock in the second half. Um, but 
Yeah, the wheels were not being reinvented for the Panthers today following the coaching change. That's it was even more dismal. There weren't turnovers, but it was arguably even more dismal than it had been through the first four game, five games of the season. Yeah, DJ Moore had seven yards in this game. Yes. Um, and, and he he, yeah. he was the third leading receiver. I know. And his only high value touch of any kind came after so PJ Walker missed the final two series of the game being evaluated for concussion, neck injury. He did not have a concussion. Jacob Eason targets him in the red zone, doesn't convert it. Jacob Eason, by the way, had 59 yards passing. He played one series. Uh, P.J. Walker had 60. Um, 49 of those yards were a catch and run where Christian McCaffrey did all all the work, basically. But, yeah, if you want to know the state of the Panthers. Christian McCaffrey had 158 yards from scrimmage. That was 77.8% of the Panthers' yards on Sunday. That's you wanna, crazy. Yeah, it's it was bad. It was good, but it was very, very bad. McCaffrey, like, I know we don't give out the MVP to team to players on, <laughs> on the worst team in football, but like gosh, I know who's more valuable. This guy, McCaffrey. this guy knows what I'm talking about. Uh, <laughs> yeah, 77.8% of the Panthers yard from screen. They had 203 total yards of offense, and he had 158 of them. The fantasy MVP. He's, yes, he's shaping in our guys. hearts. In our hearts. Uh, all right, let's move to the Rams. Who, I mean, they they did their best to blow it. You know, throw throwing a pick six they against did. the Panthers. They did. Um, not not a very strong game here for Cooper Cup. Two for seventeen rushing, uh, and seven for eighty. Which you know, I guess is not terrible, but it's Cooper Cup. Only but Cooper Cup standards. Here. It was the second fewest yards from scrimmage of the season. And yeah, you might be an elite player if we're talking about ninety-seven yards from scrimmage being a disappointing. Yeah. Game. Come on, man. What what's that about? I know. <laughs> But still, not not the best game. Uh, you know, it wasn't that terrible or anything. But then Allen Robinson came alive a little bit, I guess, with five for sixty three and a touchdown on six targets. Ben Skowernick, who I, it was either Cup or Skowernick who who was uh, targeted on that pick six, right? And it was kind of like it was Mr. Cooper Cup. It might have been both of them. It was Cup. Yeah, he never decided. I think. Well, no, it was Cup, and it, he was just way too tight of coverage. And I think it bounced kind of near Skrownick's area okay. of the field. They were very close together. But Cooper Cup was the official intended target on the pick. Okay. Any any thoughts on the passing game here? Well, the Rams, it's just interesting because it was a step in the right in the in the right direction, but it was a one touchdown game from Matthew Stafford. If, if that's how bad they've been playing, where 253 yards, one touchdown, only one interception is a step in the right direction for Matthew Stafford. But like the big positive takeaway, they lose left tackle Joseph Noteboom. Is that, is that his last name? Noteboom. I've never said it out loud. I think that's, so. That's, that's such a Joe. That's a weird last name. Gotta be honest. <laughs> um, injures his ankle real early in the game. I think now they're saying it might be a pop to Achilles. Uh, he was the one holdover starter from the Super Bowl victory. He goes out, but they had to re- totally reshuffle the offensive line. And then it's by far their best performance of the season. Stafford takes only one sack. And the Rams were like in clock control mode the whole game. But the pick, while a humongous mistake, a pick six was his only mistake. He wasn't getting harassed all day, every day. Uh, This being this as it was, he could finally establish a connection with Allen Robinson. Five catches, a new season high. 63 yards, a new season high. The touchdown, only a second. Uh, Had another play where he got interfered with like blatantly at the goal line that could have been a second touchdown. No penalty was called. He was actually looking his way, like in the middle of the field, in one-on-one coverage, like we expected all along. I mean, not in the, we expected on the boundary, but like going 
to Allen Robinson and one-on-one coverage like we were expecting all along. And just that whole connection looking a little better. And then, you know, Ben Skronik at another day of five catches, 40 yards. The victim here was Tyler Higby, who playing through an ankle injury had one catch for seven yards. But Rams headed into their bye now. They can do it yeah, on this high note. Fantasy managers kind of wonder, like, if Allen Robinson has been dropped in your league, maybe you take the bye week flyer. But, you know, it's hard to be truly optimistic. And they come off bye against the 49ers. But uh, it was the first, like, genuinely encouraging Allen Robinson performance. What about the backfield here where Daryl Henderson had 12 for 43 and a touchdown, but there were lots of guys involved, Brandon Powell, Ronnie Rivers, and then Mount Malcolm Brown. Uh, and they gave a carry to Tutu Atwell. They gave it, uh, a carry to Ben Sk- uh, Skarnick. They gave two carries to Cooper Cup. Did a lot of stuff. <laughs> they did, <laughs> they did a, a lot of stuff in the backfield. And yeah, it was, it was like, you know, by the letter of the law, I guess you could say it was an encouraging game for Taylor Henderson. His most touches since week one, but it's the first game post Cam Akers. He gets 14 touches. Not exactly a commitment. You know, a game where they're 10 and a half point home favorites. They cover that spread and you only get 12 carries and you're the lead running back. You know, you're not going to get much better game script than that. And the coaching staff still only trusts you enough to give you 12 carries. You know, Sean McVay said, basically a hundred different ways. Like he just doesn't like Daryl Henderson as a feature back. That seemed just resoundingly true again on Sunday. I mean, seven just totally go nowhere carries for Malcolm Brown. And then, yeah, I, I mean, I, we shouldn't admit this to the listeners, but you know, I had literally never heard of Ronnie rivers. I missed even on Saturday when he got promoted to the 53 man roster. I'm like, there's some guy named Ronnie getting, getting <laughs> carries for the Rams. And, uh, not a great some guy named Ronnie. Yeah, some some dude yeah. named Ronnie. I haven't heard that one since the eighties. Um, <laughs> and getting carries for the Rams, and it just seems like he's not going to put it on Daryl Henderson's shoulders, no matter how badly the situation calls for it. Yeah, that that seems clear. And Kyron Williams might be back after the bye, so it seems like he probably will be back after the bye. And it also sort of seems like the Rams are pinning their entire season on Kyron Williams coming back and being good. Yeah, if you want to talk about a guy to pick up during the bye week, I think that's that's a ram to grab in your deeper league. Someone I've added on a number of uh, yeah, I went, he's probably already. scooped up. You know, most of the truly competitive leagues, but like I went in my home leagues last week and scooped yeah. him up. It's time and to do that. No offense to my personal friends, but you know, none of them had heard of Kyron Williams, so I could still add him in the home leagues. Couldn't really add him in any of my industry leagues where I believe he has been rostered since July. Um, yeah, so. yeah. All right, Patrick Darty, thank you. Thank you, Patrick. The Vikings defeated the Dolphins 24-16, to and although the Dolphins did not get the win, Mark Garcia, we did see Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddell go over 100 yards in the same game for the second time this season. Yeah, and it was kind of interesting to see because most of that, that production really came in the second half. It was uh, This game had all the pieces really to really blow up, and nothing really happened the first half, you know, scoreless first quarter and then uh, Minnesota put up 10 to Miami's three in the second quarter. And really um, it wasn't until Teddy Bridgewater actually came in in um, was backing up Skylar Thompson for today. The seventh round rookie who got his first NFL start ended up leaving in the second quarter um, with a thumb injury. He was on a, basically on a follow through, followed through and hit the helmet of a defender and uh, was ruled out for the remainder of the contest. So that was a tough sight to see. But Teddy Bridgewater came back in. Um, he was expected to be the backup or emergency ba- quarterback for this game. And they ended up needing him. And it wasn't really until he came in that they really, really took off. 
Yeah, it's a decent day for Teddy Bridgewater here, 329 and two touchdowns on 34 attempts. He did throw two interceptions, but, you know, we should eventually have uh, Tua back here as a starting quarterback. So more about what he can do for everybody else. And Tyree Kill had 12 for 177 on 15 targets. Jalen Waddell had six for 129 on 10 targets, although it looks like he lost a fumble. Tell me about those two guys. Yeah, yeah, Tyreek Hill. He was Tyreek Hill was busy once um, once Teddy B came back into the game. He was his first read uh, pretty much for the duration of the game. Um, you know, midway through the second quarter on there, um, and Jalen Waddle was actually getting a lot of the first read looks from Skylar Thompson. So that was probably more of a game plan specific thing um, with some mismatch that they saw on the other side there. But uh, yeah, it was really once Teddy B came in, Tyreek Hill really, really took off. Um, and Jalen Waddle was kind of the first read to begin the game. Um, but Jalen Waddle uh, actually had the longest reception of the game for 49 yards, um, which is interesting when you look at the, you know, the dynamics of those two receivers uh, between Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle. But um, yeah, they were basically and this offense is is so concentrated that those two guys are really the driving force week in and week out, particularly with what they can do with the ball in their hands. For sure. Although Mike Isicki got two touchdowns here, uh, six for 69 on seven targets, scoring twice. So uh, I very much agree this is super concentrated uh, offense. But, you know, if there is a third guy, it seems like it's him right now. That's an interesting talking point because this is really his first breakout game of the season. And it came in a game where Durham Smythe was out. Um, Mm. So whether or not that's something moving forward, obviously Mike McDaniel has sided with his blocking tight end to play most of the snaps, which is Smythe. Um, So whether or not Gesicki got the additional um, snap rate to really do what he did today, um, whether or not that was related to Durham Smythe being out is interesting uh, to follow up with uh, for the rest of this week. And particularly so, I think obviously – due to the severe negative game script, probably had the pass catching tight end on the field a little bit more as well. That Both those are really good notes. Yeah, um, definitely something to pay attention to. If you have Kasiki, we're thinking about starting him. Uh, if Smythe is going to be back. Uh, all right, let's move to the Vikings side. Justin Jefferson had eight targets here going six for 107. Not not the biggest game, but, you know, looks like fairly Justin Jefferson-y. Uh, but it seemed like the like to your point that this was a slow game to get started, and the Vikings seem to be struggling a bit um, in the passing game. Kirk Cousins only threw for 175 yards, uh, although he did throw for two touchdowns. Yeah, so this game, it, like I said, it started super slow, and it really didn't open up for the Vikings until Nick Needham uh, from you know cornerback for the Dolphins left the game. He left the game. He ended up um, rupturing his Achilles tendon. So he is done for the season. Um, yeah. The, the, the injury woes for the Miami secondary continue here a little bit, but really this, the Dolphins were locking down Kirk cousins and these Vikings. Dalvin cook was not getting anything going on the ground. Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen had two or three targets apiece. They were, they had three, three and outs on their first three drives. It was nothing going on. And really, it opened up for them when Nick Needham left the game. Um, Justin Jefferson was finding space. Adam Thielen even got involved after that point as well. It seems like Dalvin Cook kind of saved his day with a long run. Is that right? Yeah, he had absolutely nothing going until the fourth quarter when he ripped uh, a 53-yard touchdown scamper um, right up the gut, basically, and pulled away. He's always had the talent, and we've seen this season his snap rate has really decreased, and 
he's not seeing the requisite passing uh, role to really offset that. So to see him break loose uh, and kind of exhibit that like, like vintage Dalvin cook performance uh, there at the end. Um, But yeah, it took, it took until the last time the Vikings had the ball for him to really get anything going. I guess we should mention Raheem Mostert um, real quick, 14 carries, 49 yards, 3.5 yards per carry. Nothing, nothing crazy there targeted twice one reception for negative one yards, but does seem like he did have control of the backfield again after, you know, there was some uh, concern with his knee heading into the week. Uh, so kind of status quo here was, I guess, a recent status quo of, of Mostert, you know, kind of taking over this backfield. Yo, yeah, for sure. Um, the, the, it, I guess the hesitation with his snap rate coming into the game were quickly dispelled um, on the mm. first couple drives. He saw pretty much, you know, workhorse usage. And this is a guy that came into the game with snap rates of 72% and 69% over the last two weeks. And he was up there again this week, um, vastly outsnapped and outplayed uh, his backfield mate in Chase Edmonds. All right, Mark Garcia, thank you. Thanks, man. All right, that'll do it for the week six recap podcast. Thanks to everyone on the Rotor World team for jumping on. Thanks to Johnny for the research notes this week. Uh, always very helpful. Make sure to check out all of our great content this week. Pat and Denny, we've got the rankings pod with Pat, Lawrence, and Kyle. We've got a preview show on Thursdays. And then we'll be back here, week seven, recap show next Sunday night. Looking forward to it. Have a great week.